0: Well, we're in week two of this series called Elements. We're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, just like apple trees naturally grow apples and lemon trees naturally grow lemons, these are things that the Bible tells us, that the Apostle Paul more specifically tells us, these are things that should naturally kind of grow in our lives. And uh, just so we, uh, if you didn't get enough of the fruit of the Spirit, I told you we're going to say them a bunch. If I don't get you to learn anything during this series, you're going to be able to know these fruit of the Spirit. So here we go. Okay, we're going to do these together. So let's say these out loud. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. And if, you've, uh, if you missed last week, last week we talked about love, uh, the first fruit of the Spirit. We kind of introduced things a little bit. So if you missed out on that, you can always go to our website, loamcc.com resources and hear that. Now, today we're going to be talking about joy. Now, as we go through these weeks, some of these are going to be more exciting to you than others. Uh, next week, love, joy, peace, and then the week after that, patience. Patience, I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, just from the guy who's going to preach it, I've got way too many stories of my lack of patience. So, I'm not looking forward to that. Um, one thing, just how, here's how funny God is. Uh, as I'm prepping this series and I kind of get it lined out and I start looking at what dates... What sermons fall on which dates. The week we lose an hour of sleep, self-control. So that's, I thought that was funny. It's like God's just got a sense of humor that way. Now, uh, this week we're talking about joy. And I like that, but it kind of bums me out a little bit because I wonder, is joy the first word that a lot of people would use to describe church or faith? You know, I think church-wise, we think, I think we describe uh, the word we might use sometimes as solemn, serious, reverent, or boring, hypocritical, you know, irrelevant, some of those words too. But I don't know how many people use, if I just said, what's the first word that comes to your mind when I say church? I don't know a ton of people that would say joy, because joy is this thing that's exuberant, it's exciting, it's explosive, it's fun. And don't get me wrong, we do have fun. But I'm going to be honest, as the guy who stands up here every week, sometimes I get up to do the announcements and I'm like, good morning, how is everybody? Uh. Like I feel like I'm getting like whoa easy now easy like, I, like I'm waking you up out of bed for the first time in that moment. Like, whoa, didn't you drive here? I, were you awake? Were we all safe when you were on the road? And so I wonder about that kind of stuff. And so is joy the first thing that we think of when it comes to church and faith? Well, if it's in this list of fruit of the Spirit, joy should be something that is just naturally a part of who we are. Not just the church, but ourselves and our faith and our relationship with God. Joy should be a natural byproduct of walking with the Holy Spirit day in and Day out. If for those of us who are believers, Um, now because I have kids, uh, when I hear the word joy, I immediately think of the movie Inside Out. Okay, how many of you have seen the movie Inside Out? Okay, a good a good amount of you. If you do not, if you have not seen Inside Out, you really should, for one, Um, but if you haven't seen Inside Out, let me give you the the plot, okay? It's about a a young girl named Riley, who's probably early junior high, maybe late elementary school, and she's going through this very pivotal part in growing up, you know, she's starting to transition into young adulthood, and her life gets this big upheaval as her parents move from, I think it's Minnesota or Wisconsin uh, to, like, San Francisco, and everything in her life changes, but unlike a normal movie where you just see uh, the perspective of the girl and her family inside out takes you inside of Riley's brain and you see her emotions which are represented as five different characters in her brain and here is um, the headquarters they call it headquarters in Riley's brain all right and here are her emotions from left to right the five they only use five emotions it's a little simplistic but it works uh anger over here little short guy looking grumpy disgust um, I wondered why disgust, but it makes a lot of sense. They said disgust's job is to keep Riley from being poisoned physically or socially. So that makes a good amount of sense. Then you have joy in the middle. Notice joy is glowing. Joy is, joy is the only character in the movie who doesn't have a shadow because she glows. Uh, next up, who, anybody who hasn't seen the movie going to guess what purple guy is here? Fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then blue is sadness. Oh, sadness. So this is Riley's emotions, okay, in the whole movie. You you get half Riley and half emotions. Now what's fun about this is that you'll notice they have this console, and what's representative here is whichever character is in the middle at any point in time, that's the character that's kind of at the wheel at that moment. And so occasionally anger will get in there and take over, or fear will be driving. And what I think is so f- interesting, because Riley is kind of in this young, pubescent stage of life, her, character, her, her emotions take turns in the driver's seat. Okay, kind of showing, you remember that stage in life when you haven't really figured yourself out yet and it felt like your emotions were just kind of all over the place? I doubt I'm the only one. Now what's fun though is you don't just get a peek into Riley's headquarters, but they take you inside her mom and dad's as well. So here's Riley's mom and dad's headquarters. Okay, Dad on top, mom on bottom. Now, First off, notice that they look like a mom and a dad, okay? The dad's all got the big mustaches. The mom's all got the swoop back hair and the ponytail and the glasses. But what's interesting is notice the adult characters in the movie, their their emotions all have chairs. They're not bouncing around taking turns. They've kind of settled into a stable, more uh, more, uh, consistent place. And you have a consistent driver. And I think it's interesting, men, that dad's number one driving emotion is anger. And I find it interesting that mom's driving emotion is sadness. And I think that says a lot. So there's a lot about this movie. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Because if you have kids or grandkids, it can at least help you have conversations about emotions and maybe help your kids work through some uh, uh, of these pivotal moments in their life. And so as Abby and I were watching this, we kind of started the conversation, okay, if, let's just say, you know, this is our brains, okay? By the way, if you're wondering what my emotions uh, look like, That's what my emotions look like. So, there's an online thing. You should try it out. It's really fun. Um, I mean, right? So, Um, But Abby and I were talking, if our brains work like that, okay, and these were our five emotions, we said, which which emotion would be at the driver's seat? And I said fear, probably, in my life. I think fear oftentimes is, is the one in the middle guiding my life, and I'm driven more by anxieties and worries more than I should be. And I said, what would be yours? And she said, joy. And I agree with her. Uh, because if you know my wife, she for the most time she's just a genuinely pleasant person to be around. Um, if you ever, you know, when you go to the movies and there's a funny part and the whole theater laughs, but there's that one person who laughs louder and longer and harder than everybody else. I married that person. All right, and so which is great. I it took the first couple times I'm like, oh my gosh, be quiet, you're embarrassing me. But now I'm kind of used to it, so it's fine. Um, So yeah, that's good, but that's that's who she is. Now, though I don't, I don't think I disagree, I think I disagree a little bit with the movie in that I don't know if you would, I would say that joy is just like all the other emotions that you can just kind of conjure up at will. I I don't really think that that's the way that it goes because um, I think we oftentimes confuse joy and happiness, if that makes sense. Happiness is an emotion, but happiness is tied, like most of your other emotions, to the circumstances in your life. If good things are going on, you can feel happy. But if things are terrible, it is, I think, impossible to feel happy because happiness, like many of your other emotions, is tied to your circumstances, to what is going on in your life. But joy is not that way. Joy is not tied to what is happening in your life. Joy is different. And so we, the place we, we find the most uh, joy, the most uh, joy talked about the most, let me say it that way, in the, the Bible is, I believe, in the book of Philippians. Now, Philippians, we call them a book, but really it's a letter written by a guy, his name's Paul, he wrote it to a church in the Roman colony of Philippi, uh, the, it's not there anymore except for the ruins, but you can visit it, it's a real place in, in history, and Paul writes this letter, and and in this tiny little letter to the Philippian church, Paul uses joy or rejoicing language like 14 times. I mean, he's like cramming it in there. And in the places where he's not actually saying joy or rejoice, he's explaining why he feels so joyful or why the Philippians should be joyful. So everything about this letter from beginning to end is just all about joy. And you might think, okay, maybe things were awesome in his life. Maybe Paul, I mean, he was an apostle. He saw Jesus risen from the dead. I mean, maybe he had a lot of power and influence in the early church. Maybe things were just going really sweet for Paul. But no, once you start paying attention to the letter, as he talks so much about joy, you learn that joy is not tied to what's going on in his life. Because Paul was actually, while, he, while writing this letter, he was in jail in the capital city of the Roman Empire, which was Rome, and this was not jail that we think of, okay, in, in my hometown of Fairfield, uh, the, the the jail was one of the first uh, buildings in town to get uh, metal roofs, like when they kind of stopped being off of like barns, but on, you could get them on your house and stuff, and they got a, gr- a bright green one, and so we just started calling it the Green Roof Inn, you know, and so, oh, such and such, they did a few, they, they stayed a few nights at the Green Roof Inn, you know, we just kind of talk like that, but you know, at the Green Roof Inn, you get phone calls, and there's heat, and there's at the very least a stainless steel toilet in there with you, and there's toilet paper, and there's three square meals a day, and all that. That's kind of what we think of when we think of jail. Uh, in our modern day jails, there's libraries, and you can get a college degree from, from prison, okay? But Paul is not in that kind of prison, Paul's prison is little more than a hole in the ground. Uh, Eleven years ago, I had the, the opportunity to go to Rome, and I got to visit what many think is the actual jail that Paul was put in when he was in Rome. But you need to know, even if it's not, even if the records got wrong at some point along the way, um, he was most likely in a, in a jail very similar to this. So here is the jail that Paul is was in. Um, Now, what you can't see is, if I were standing near the edge of that, I would be doing this. Very short, the, the, the edges of the room kind of cave down. It's little more than a Dark, dank, hole, and by the way, the lighting was added later. That's a modern addition. okay? So it would have been very dark in there. The only place where you would have had uh, light coming into that building, this is a picture of the ceiling, was a hole cut in the rock where they would drop the prisoners into the cell. And this was, uh, they would put a lot of people in there, as many as they could fit. They didn't really have any reason to take super good care of their prisoners because, uh, you know, you kind of get a little bit more guilty you know, before you get tried than, than, than we do in our system today. And so uh, people would be in this hole. Uh, I don't remember seeing any sort of a drainage system. And so when someone went to the bathroom, there was no stainless steel toilet. They just had to go in. I don't know if they just picked a designated corner, uh, which was mean because it was a round room. Um, I don't know how they uh, figured that out, but it would have been smelly. Disease would have been spread rampantly in these small little holes. And that's where, the kind of place where Paul would have done his time. And he's in jail waiting to find out if he's going to be killed or not. Finding whether or not he's going to be executed for his crimes of preaching the gospel. Because preaching a, a, a religion that was not authorized by Rome, that was an illegal thing. And uh, the... the emperor of rome or basically their king was called the caesar you've heard all that we we even named a salad after the guy because we liked him so much but we we he didn't like it when people would try to say hey no i'm the real king and that's the message of christianity that christ is the true king and he didn't and and the caesars did not like that and so it was a punishable offense and so paul is in jail for preaching the gospel of christ and so he is in here just waiting am i going to die am i going to live I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know what my life is going to turn out to be. And the only way he would have gotten supplies to even write these letters was probably Christians, friends that he had known, either from Rome or some other church, traveling and giving him supplies. That's how he would have even been able to even write this letter. And it's from this dark, smelly, disease-ridden hole that he writes a letter that is all about joy. I mean, just listen to how Paul talks about joy Philippians chapter 1 we'll start in verse 18 Paul says yes and I will continue to rejoice now I'm sorry but I'd have a hard time saying that from that stinky hole right For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And deliverance there doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be freed, but sometimes it just means a spiritual deliverance. Meaning, I will be freed spiritually. Either he goes to live with Jesus because he dies, or he gets matured to a place where the surroundings bother him less and less. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death meaning my life's purpose is to make much of Jesus even though doing that put me in this hole he says I am torn between the two I desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with you, uh, with all of you, for your progress and in the joy of the faith. And so what we learn from Paul is that joy cannot be tied to circumstances. He has no reason to say I rejoice. No reason. He can't even see the sun shining. All he sees is stone and other prisoners who actually probably deserved to be there unlike him. No, Paul's joy is tied to Christ. And that Even as as someone who's been doing this a while, who's been walking with Jesus for a while, that's a hard thing to tie your joy to because your circumstances are so right in front of you They're so easy to see, they're so easy to get hung up on, and if they're bad and painful, I mean, you hurt from the inside out. You can't escape your circumstances. And so to say that you have joy that is tied to Christ can be something that is difficult for us to, it's kind of difficult for us to get to that place. But Paul says, I am here, and I will rejoice because of Christ. Because his joy cannot possibly be tied to his circumstances. It's got to be tied to something else, and it's his Savior. Because to Paul, Jesus and his promises are bigger than whatever circumstances he are in. he's in. To Paul, Christ and his promises are constant, even though life is not constant, and it's got all kinds of ups and downs, and because Jesus is stable and present throughout all of life's ups and downs, when your joy is tied to Jesus, your joy can be stable through all of life's ups and downs, and when I say joy, I don't necessarily mean that you're walking around like clicking your heels together, being all excited at life. We know those people. You know those people who you just look at them and you're like, you are either on something or you are in super denial about what's going on in your life and they got a big old smiley face bumper sticker on your car on their car and you just like man they're just so plastic they're so fake that's not what I'm talking about joy is just this an excitement in your heart that, that goes beyond your circumstances it's a, a lifting of your heart that goes beyond circumstances that cannot be destroyed by bad circumstances and so even though Paul is in jail and he's in, he's in prison facing death he can have joy because Christ is bigger than all of those things. And you know, I've known people who were diagnosed with terminal cancer who would say, I'm full of joy. And when you, when you talk to those people and when you see that faith starting to be lived out in their life, I mean, it, it, it really takes you to another level of understanding, wow, is, is Jesus really that big for them? Like, can Jesus really do that? Is he that powerful love that he can rise us above something even as terrible as that? I've seen people go through terrible, terrible loss, and, and maybe not in the freshest of moments of that loss, but shortly thereafter, after they can kind of take a step back from the tragedy and get a breath, they'll still say, you know what, all that was horrible, but I still have joy in Christ. And it's just amazing to watch, because for so many of us, our, our, any amount of happiness or joy, it's not tied to Christ. It's tied to what's going on in our life, and therefore, when life is good, we feel happy. And joy might show up for a moment, but when the bad stuff comes, our our mood and our emotions go right down with it. But what if it was possible, like Paul, to connect our joy to something bigger, something higher? What if it was possible to connect our joy to our Savior so that joy just came out of our lives? Joy grew in our lives no matter what was going on around us, but it became something that grew in us by the grace and mercy of the Spirit. And when you look at Paul and you read kind of the rest of this letter, there, there's two places where he seems to get a lot of this joy from. Uh, the first is Paul gets excited and he gets joyful because he can still live out a life of purpose. Meaning that he gets to live every second of his life for Jesus. And that's also something to be, that, that's a little foreign to us because we live for us. We want to do, for us, we want to do things that are easy, comfortable, that make us happy. But Paul says, no, I'm living for something that's bigger than me, my Savior Jesus. And he lives to make uh, much of Jesus, to exalt Jesus, and to share Jesus with other people. And he has a purpose that is even bigger than himself and the circumstances he is in. In verse 22, he says, if I make it out of this and I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Meaning, I get out of here, I keep working for Jesus. Carry on, let's go, let's do this. I got, I got a mission to carry out. But I love earlier in Philippians, in a, chapter, a little bit earlier in chapter 1, starting in verse 12, he says this. This is the start of his letter, pretty much. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Meaning, you know what, it actually worked out pretty good for me to be here. He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Meaning, he talks about Jesus to anybody that will listen. Um, part of Paul's imprisonment at, at another part of his life is he's on house arrest. And the way they did house arrest was he would be chained by the ankle to a Roman soldier and they were doing shifts, and he started converting the Roman soldiers, because guess what, when you're chained ankle to ankle, they can't get away, what more captive audience could you have, and so anytime somebody got near Paul, he just told them about Jesus, and this is no different, so whether it's the people bringing him food, whether it was the guy throwing him in the hole, it's like, have you heard about Jesus before he put me in the hole, and whether the prisoners that are sitting around him in their filth with no hope, he starts telling them about Jesus, and he says, you know what, this actually worked out pretty well because now every guard in the palace of the emperor knows why I'm here. Everybody here has heard at least a little bit about Jesus. I have a purpose in this hole. I have a purpose in this place. And he says, and gets even better than that. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now remember, it's illegal to tell people about Jesus in this place. But the Christians that are visiting Paul and coming to, to visit him in jail... They see what he's doing, and they see how successful he is doing it, how successful he's sharing Jesus from prison. And these people who were once scared to share their faith are getting confidence from watching him do it. And now, not only is Paul sharing the faith boldly from a hole, the Christians are leaving the jail and going out, and they're more confident, and they have less fear, and they're seeing how Jesus can work even in the deepest, darkest pit, and they're doing it in their lives as well. So Paul says, man, I have purpose here, and there is meaning here. Even Jesus and the work of the gospel cannot be stopped when you put me in a tiny, windowless hole in the ground. The second thing we see Paul getting excited for is the simple fact that even if they take his life, he has an unshakable promise in Christ beyond this life. He knows that even if everybody does their absolute worst, nothing can take the promise and the hope that I have ultimately in Christ. In fact, he says earlier, he says, I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. He's sitting there thinking, I kind of hope they kill me. How do you stop a guy like that? I mean, and this isn't, he's not saying he's suicidal or anything like that, but he's just, he's so excited to go to heaven because he knows once I get to heaven, I see Jesus. And part of the reason why he was serving so well was because he sees how much Jesus gave for him. Jesus came to this world, gave up the riches of heaven, and died in the most excruciating way possible so that you and I and Paul could have salvation. And Paul's motivation is, he gave for me, I just want to give back to him. Have you ever had somebody who just was so kind and generous and they just always did stuff for you that you just, you wanted to get do something nice for them once? Okay, I've seen people throw ridiculous, over-the-top birthday parties for people. My mom, she is notorious for busting her friends with a surprise birthday party when they turn 40 and 50. And nobody ever got her. And so when my mom turned 50, I mean, everybody in town was in on this thing. I mean, everybody knew about it. I mean, they had friends with a decoy plan, and they were going to go here and do this thing, and it was all just a big old sham, so that they could finally get her, okay, and it's kind of like, and and Jesus, he's he's so grateful, Jesus has done for me, I want to do for him, and even if they take my life, I get to go be with this person who's loved me so much, and he's going to take me to a place where there aren't holes like this, He's going to take me to a place where situations like this never exist again. Pain won't ever touch me when I get to go be with Jesus. He's so hopeful for th- that he gets to go on to be with Christ. And then in chapter 3 of Philippians, listen to one thing he says. Listen to his upward focus, heavenly focus. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 13. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, what's behind? The whole his, maybe, maybe even his whole life's ministry. He's like, forget what's behind. And I strain toward what's ahead. What's, what might be the only thing left ahead for him? Heaven. He doesn't know. That might be the only thing in the next day for him is heaven. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He says, I want to be saved and I want to go to heaven and live my life in eternity there He says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And he he points out, he says it's mature. If you're a believer and you have a hard time getting excited about heaven, I understand. Because this life has a lot of good things. And it is easy for us to want the good things here and now. And I think, uh, I've said this before, but um, I've often watched people, and as we get older, life takes, little by little, all those things that we love here. And I think, I say this carefully because I haven't walked it, I think that might be a grace of God because the more he removes the things for us to love here, the more we have an opportunity to look where we still have hope, where we still have joy, and that is heaven. And so Paul says, I look to heaven, and and, and those of us who are mature, those of us who have been walking this road with Jesus, we should try day in and day out to focus our eyes upward on heaven so that we do not forget where we're headed. He says, and if at some point you think differently, God will make clear that clear to you. He says, Only let us live up to what we have already attained, meaning you're already saved, live like it. You already have heaven, live like it. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. Just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Meaning, they they live for them. They're not living for Jesus. They're not on mission for Christ. They're living for themselves. And their mind is set on earthly things. Paul says, my eyes can't be on earthly things. The reason he can look, he can have joy when things are bad is because his, his focus isn't only on the earthly things. Only on the things that are happening around him. And he says, but our citizenship is in where? Heaven. If you're a believer, if you have given your life to Christ, your citizenship is in heaven. Yes, I know you probably have an Illinois license. Yes, I know maybe you have a Stars and Stripes waving at your house. Your passport's got the U.S. stamp on it. But primarily as a believer, you are not first and foremost a citizen of Illinois or the United States. You are a citizen of heaven. You are just kind of on layover here. That's why it feels so bad. This is like being on layover at an airport. That's why this life is so bad. You're, you're not to the destination yet. That's when it com- the, the joy really comes. And he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like His glorious body. So that, notice, Christ brings everything under his control. Even when we have this painful life, even when things aren't going well here, everything is ultimately under Christ's control. And one thing we learn from Paul, and this is hard for me to to, kind of get my brain around sometimes, the one thing we learn from Paul is that we already have everything we need to be joyful. And that's painful to to, to some of us. Because some of you, Your life is in a spot and you think, when I get blank, then I can be happy. Once this next step comes, you know, once I'm out of mom and dad's house, then I'll be happy. Once I'm done with this miserable college experience, then I'll be happy. Once I find the one and get married, then I'll be happy. Once I have kids, then I'll be happy. Once I retire, then I'll be happy. And we always think, once I get blank, then I can be joyful. Then I can really start to enjoy my life. Paul is showing us, you already have every thing you need to be joyful. And the reason maybe you're not joyful is it's not because of your circumstances, because you can experience joy even at the worst, but maybe the primary reason you're not joyful is because your eyes are too focused on here and what's going on around you and your circumstances, and not enough perspective and focus on the amazing Savior that you have. Maybe the problem is your eyes are on the fact that your life is not good rather than on the fact that you have a good Savior who has already redeemed you, already saved you, and already put you on the road of salvation to heaven. And so we can be joyful. And that doesn't mean we always have to be excited and walk around like lunatics. People will think we're crazy and maybe lock us up in one of those fun little jackets. But we can be in a spot where life doesn't take us to the deepest pits of despair every time our circumstances go up and down. Because yes, life does this, but Jesus is constant. The hope we have in him is constant. The purpose we have in him is constant. And we tie our joy to those things. And so in those seasons when joy is hard to come by, maybe we should wake up and pray daily, Lord Jesus, help me have a focus on the right things. Lord, let my eyes be on Jesus. Let my hope be in Jesus. Let my joy be in Jesus. Let let me take joy in honoring Jesus and telling other people about Jesus and resting every day, regardless of my circumstances, resting every day in the promises of Jesus. Joy does not come from this world. Joy is not tied to everything in your life moving in the right direction. Joy is tied to Jesus. And so if you're missing joy, It might be because you're trying to tie yourself to the wrong things. And so as we take communion this morning, servers, if you would please go prepare to serve, um, we remember that once again, the pinnacle of our life, everything hangs on Christ, on the salvation that he came to this world to buy for you and for me. And so our hope is in him. Because he went to the cross, he endured pain and death so that we don't have to have that in our future. You see, sinners deserve pain and death. Jesus took pain and death so that our future hope could be different. Because of him, we can now have hope in heaven. We can now have hope that no matter what this life throws at us, even if we don't live to see another Sunday, our hope is in Jesus because we get to go and we win by going to heaven and having pain and suffering removed from this world. And so if you're alive... You serve Jesus, you honor Jesus, you preach, you proclaim Jesus. And if you're dead, you be with him. And I, I hope I can have that attitude like Paul. And I hope you can too. It seems a little loony. I, I, I thought it was a little crazy for a while. And I thought, how can, you, how can this guy say these things? But I want to be in that place because how can life beat up somebody when their hope is so rooted in Jesus that nothing can touch them? You can't stop somebody like that. And by God's grace, I want to have joy that's that unstoppable. And I want you to have it too. But it's only found in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time to focus on you and what you've given us in Christ. I pray that we would never be swayed by the good stuff of of this world. And there are good things. We have awesome families, many of us. We have great friends we got comfortable homes. we got food. And I pray that we wouldn't start to think that those things are what make life matter. Sometimes we say that, oh yeah, life is all about being happy. But if happiness is tied to those good things, then really life is about those good things. And they come and go. And with it our happiness. But you've called us to something a little bigger and more rich. Something called joy. And I pray that we would find that in the place where it is meant to be found, in Jesus. And I pray that our hope would ultimately be in him no matter what our circumstances. That we would understand that Jesus is with us in our best days and in our worst. That his promises are stable and with us in our best days and in our worst. And the promise of heaven and the eternity uh, of pain-free life with him, that is with us on our best days, even in our worst. And I pray that we would start looking forward to heaven. I pray that our hope would be there. Our hope would actually be in meeting our Savior, who has done so much for us. Jesus, who gave his life for me. I pray that I would long for the day when I can see him face to face and embrace him and say thank you for all that he did for me. And understand that now that I'm with him, the pain of this life is a blip. My existence on this this broken world is a blip. And now, from now until eternity, it's joy-filled, pain-free life, abundant with, with you and your son. So give us focus on Christ. Let us tie our lives to Christ. Let us understand that other things will disappoint, but you will not. And let us not mistake the disappointments of this world for saying that you've disappointed us. Because sometimes we expect this life to be everything and pain-free, but that's not what you promised. You didn't promise to make this life pain-free. You promised one day to rescue us from this life and take us someplace pain-free. So let us not confuse that, so that our hope can be in you and our anger not directed at you when life fails us. But when life fails us, it'll just make us more determined to move to heaven. Thank you for your Son who opened the doors to heaven so that we can walk in forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.